Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. There's a, a decision to be made in Ottawa. I, I think the decision's already been made. They just haven't announced it. But at their weekly cabinet meeting up in Ottawa today, the, uh, the Trudeau cabinet is going to make an announcement about the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Now, this, is, of course, has been something that's been going on for the longest time. Uh, and uh, they think that they're finally at the stage where they can move ahead with this or not move ahead with this and make a decision based on some of the court decisions that have been made. So what what are the pluses, what are the minuses, uh, deciding which way the government's going to go on this? Ian Lee is at the Sprott School of Business at Carleton University. He joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this. Hey, Ian, how are you doing today? I'm doing just fine. Uh, thanks, Bill. This is a, this is a big day, and this is this is a decision which I just said in my preamble. I think they've already made, but they're going to announce it today. That's going to have huge economic implications. Yes, I agree completely. I do believe that the decision has already been made. Uh, Bill Morneau, for example, the finance minister, is scheduled to speak tomorrow in Calgary, and I cannot imagine that he would be going out there the day after if they were about to turn down uh, the pipeline because it would just enrage uh, people in Alberta. So I think we can safely say, uh, predict, that they are going to uh, announce the approval of the pipeline. And secondly, I do agree with you, it's uh, going to be momentous for two separate reasons. One's the, let's call it the political, cultural, environmental, that the uh, this government is finally, finally, uh, you know, put, drawn a line in the sand and saying, yes, we support pipelines, absolutely. And then secondly, of course, is the economic, because the, uh, the and I'm a very strong supporter of pipelines, I will fully disclose that, I do not consult to anybody, I don't have any investments, I believe this is in national interest of Canada, not just Alberta, because we've got to get that oil out to Tidewater, uh, and remember, if I can point this out, oil and natural gas are far cleaner than coal, and much of Asia, starting with China, is heavily uh, consuming coal, and that's why China's the number one emitter in the world, and if we ever want to get a handle on GHG emissions, in my view, we've got to get much cleaner oil and gas out to Asia to get them to switch from the coal. So we're talking billions and billions and billions of dollars, and for those who say, oh, that just goes to the oil companies, that is absolutely not true. Stephen Gordon, professor at Laval, is showing the benefit to governments and to incomes in Canada, and it accounts for a very, uh, very significant part of the standard of living of Canadians. So this is not something that just benefits oil workers in Alberta. It benefits professors in Ottawa and universities, too. There's another side to this, too, and I, I know this, uh, I'm connecting some dots here, though, Ian. Uh, we're not having a whole lot of success right now with the Chinese government because of negotiations. You know, a lot of that stems from the Huawei situation. But if all of a sudden this, this oil was made available to them and uh, much more accessible because of the completion of this pipeline, uh, that's, that's another card in our deck that we could say, look, at, you know, now we need to talk trade here, guys, because you need what we've got. Exactly so. And, and But I just want to point something out, Bill. You're quite right. And I'm not suggesting, you know, let's put all our eggs in the Chinese basket, to use that famous phrase. Um, oil is, is fungible, to use a, a lovely academic term or financial term. And fungible means that one molecule of oil in a given class of oil is identical to another molecule of oil. And I mean by that, and that's why I buy gasoline, and we all buy gasoline from different companies because it's essentially all the same. Um, we can sell that oil to anybody who needs oil, but it's Asia. It's not just China. All the countries of Asia 
need more oil to substitute for coal. They got to get off coal, and it's not just China. So yes, this will give us an advantage to deal with the Chinese because they have said repeatedly publicly they want our resources and specifically our oil and gas, natural gas. So yes, this will, um, I think, um, allow Mr. Trudeau at the G20 to maybe this will be the uh, the icebreaker, the conversation opener to start a bigger conversation about the overall relationship. Well, and I think that there's a realization on the government's part right now that, as you mentioned, we need pipelines. I mean, this is a product that we have. Uh, it's essential to our economy, and we've got to get that product to market. And and look at, uh, we don't want like Magnetic again. We don't want the you know these uh, rail cars. I mean, that that has to be part of it, I suppose. Yeah. But pipelines yeah. are the best way to move this product. That, I think we've already decided that. I know there are some people that are still going to be philosophically opposed to it, but yes. the reality here is that this is the best way to go, and this is how we have to go. And I'm, it's it's frustrating, I guess, that we it's taken so long to finally come to that decision. Yes. In fact, I have studied the data, hard, hard empirical data, from the National Energy Board, from Natural Resources Canada, from the U.S. Uh, department that regulates pipelines in the states called PHMSA, and there is absolutely no question of a question at all that all, uh, that pipelines are the safest way by far to ship any kind of hazardous liquid materials. The boogeyman that's been raised over and over by environmentalists of oh it's dangerous it might you know it might somebody might die if there's a pipeline explosion. I went and looked up, and this sounds rather macabre, so please bear with me, and, and I don't mean it all in any way offensively, but I did look up the mortality data from different types of activities. 450 Canadians die annually, tragically, in water accidents, in swimming pools, in lakes, and rivers. Nobody is suggesting that we ban and close all the swimming pools of Canada and the rivers and lakes of Canada because 450 people die annually. Nobody dies in pipeline accidents annually. You can look at bicycles or pedestrians walking on the sidewalk. Far more die walking in Canada than die in pipelines. Uh, automobile accidents, 2,000 Canadians a year tragically die in automobile accidents, and nobody is suggesting let's ban all the cars and all the trucks in Canada. So my point is, yes, there's always a risk, but the risks with pipelines are infinitesimally tiny compared to the risk of swimming pools, bicycles, motorcycles, cars and trucks. And we accept those risks, much higher risks with those other vehicles and other forms of transportation. And so I think it's just a, a straw man, a boogeyman, when we say, oh, there's great risk of pipelines or tankers. The risk is unbelievably small and tiny. The other argument, and it gets into a, the, the philosophical end of things here, Ian, but I mean, it's you know it's going to be part of this discussion, is that we shouldn't be building these things at all. I mean, there, there are some that go to the extreme. I mean, those that support the NDP's leap manifesto that's still out there someplace, yeah. Yeah, they just want to shut the industry down. You know, plug that and, and, and just stop extracting oil altogether. That would be foolhardy. We know that. That would be economically yeah. tragic if, if for us to do that. Uh, but the the other element to this, and, and we hear this from people like Premier Horgan out in British Columbia, is they're just philosophically opposed to these ideas because they think it's all dirty. Uh, and I listen, I support, and I know from the conversations I've had with you, I support as do you, looking for alternative sources of energy. We need to do yes. that, but we're not yes. there yet. 
In fact, again, I've looked at IEA, the International Energy uh, Authority or Agency. It is not a private company. It is owned by the Western OECD governments. Our own Minister of Finance, Department of Finance, sends its annual contribution of several million dollars to support it. Like the IMF, like the World Bank, they're supported by the OECD governments. Uh, so this is not in the pocket of the oil industry. The IEA is nonprofit think a government think tank, let's call it, and they produce endless studies. They're very pro green, they're very pro carbon tax, and they're very pro alternatives. They just published another report. They publish endless reports, and it was actually reported in the Globe and Mail. And they said there is, in very polite, uh, scholarly, economic language, because these are economists with advanced degrees and mathematicians and all that sort of thing, they said there isn't a snowball's chance in hell, they didn't use those words, by the way, that we are going to be uh, off of fossil fuels by 2050. They said, yes, alternatives are growing, and they're growing every year, and so people say, oh, look, that's, it's going to take over fossil fuels. But they said the economies around the world are growing and their demand for energy goes up every year. And all of the increase in, in alternatives is this being taken up by the incremental growth around the world. They're actually saying that the existing oil and gas resources and alternatives, energies, is not enough to fuel the growth going forward. In other words, we're going to be using fossil fuels and alternatives right through to 2050 and possibly beyond. The idea that we can shut down oil and gas, which accounts for 80% of energy usage in the world, including Canada and the United States, is just a pipe dream, no pun intended. We cannot, especially in a cold climate like Canada, second coldest country in the world after Russia, the idea that we have some magical solution in January when it's minus 25 or minus 35 in Ottawa to heat our homes is just nonsense. It's not true. The other element to this, too, that has to be taken into consideration is, is that reality that the industry itself, uh, and by that I mean the automotive industry and the uh, they're, they're moving scientifically ahead on stuff. A lot of that work's going on right across the road from our radio station here at the uh, McMaster Automotive Research Center. Yeah. Uh, and and I, it's way above my head you know, as to what they're doing, but cars are more energy efficient than they were 15, 20 years ago. That old oh. phrase of gas guzzler is really non-existent now. It's not like that anymore. Uh, they do the best they can to try to clean things up. The carbon footprint has been decreasing. Uh, so you know, as you mentioned, there's there's a lot of false stories that are going out there about now. The other one, remember what 10, 15 years ago was peak oil, that we were going to run out yeah. of oil. Yeah. I and mean, We found that yeah. to just, that, that was a false uh, a, a argument that came forward. Too. We've been inundated with these, and I think it's, it's colored an awful lot of people's opinions about this. You're right. Just to come back to the efficiency point, and you're absolutely right. I bought my very first car. I was, I think it was 18 or 19, and this was obviously 40-odd years ago. And I bought a used, very used, uh, Ford Mustang, and I think I got five miles a gallon. <laughs> I now am sitting to talk to you on the phone. I pulled my car over and parked the car. I'm driving my Honda Civic which is getting probably, in American terminology, because they use miles per gallon, I'm probably getting 30 to 35 miles a gallon, not 5 miles a gallon. Our fleet averages have gone up dramatically. The housing standards, you know, once upon a time you built houses with no insulation in the basement. Now that's illegal. Our housing standards have gone up, 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 year after year after year in Canada for our windows, for our roofs, for our walls. Our, the energy efficiency of our appliances 
my first air conditioner was a gas guzzler, although it didn't use gas. It used electricity. The, the latest appliances, fridges and stoves and air conditioners, are just a quantum leap over what we were doing using 20 and uh, 15 and 20 years ago. So this idea that, you know, we've been just sitting back and, you know, consuming energy profligately and irresponsibly is not true. Uh, and very quickly on Bill, because I want to get this point across, because people say, well, then how come we're not meeting our Paris Accords? And why is it we're having so much trouble? There's a very good answer. It's because, and I do support immigration. I want to get that out there. But every three years, we bring in a million people, new people. That's the size of Ottawa, my city. We add an, an Ottawa every three years. And every human being, whether they're new or old Canadians or in-between Canadians, consumes energy and, gen- and produces GHG emissions. That's the nature of uh, a human existence. And so we're producing more GHG every year, not because we're inefficient. We're actually more and more efficient on a per-person basis, but because the population is growing every year, we're producing more in absolute terms of GHG. And that's because everybody around the world, understandably, wants to come to Canada because it is a paradise to many, many people around the world. And and so this is a paradox that people may not realize because environmentalists won't tell us this story. We're growing every year in emissions, not because we're profligate and irresponsible. It's because our population is growing and because we strongly, uh, there's a consensus that we support immigration in Canada. But every new person can, and every existing person consumes energy, which produces GHG. That's why our emissions go up year by year. Well, uh, let's keep in mind here, just in perspective, as we await this announcement, I mean, the government bought this damn thing last year. They bought the whole project. So, I mean, it'd be foolhardy for them to turn around and say we're not going to do it now. So, I I, I think we're going to get the positive thumbs up from these guys later on today. Uh, Ian, thanks as always. Always a pleasure to have you on the program. My pleasure, Bill. Thank you very much. Ian Lee from the Sprott School of Business at Carleton University. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.